Well, good morning. Welcome each one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. We thank you for taking the time to come together as the body of Christ. And if you're visiting, we do want to say thank you. If you're uh, someone that can be sticking around the area, we'd love for you to fill out one of the Connect cards in the bulletin, and you can hand that to someone at the hub on the way out, or you can go online at pvcc.info, and you can fill out a Connect card online as well. But we'd just love to, to get to know you better, and uh, that way we can know how to pray for you, know how to, to reach out and, and be the church that God has called us to be. When it comes to family, uh, when it comes to birthdays, oftentimes I don't really usually say much because a lot of times in a size of congregation this size you can forget people and different things, but I do know of two birthdays that are happening today. Uh, one is Madeline Bishop over here. Did she leave? Oh. Oh, she, all right. Well, I just wanted to mention her, and then my son Brady is turning nine today. So if you see either of them, if you know either of them, you can wish them a happy birthday today. Yes. We are continuing on in 1 Peter as we draw closer to the end of our sermon series through 1 Peter called Here, There. And uh, this morning, uh, Peter once again just kind of reminds us of different themes throughout this book of 1 Peter. And one of those themes is that uh, we're, we're not, this isn't our home. This isn't where we're going to end up. And oftentimes, I, I don't oftentimes use... Uh, Secular songs or movies or some of those type of things all the time uh, because it's just hard to know how uh, to present those. At, but when it comes to what we're talking about today, what come, came to my mind was a song by Tim McGraw. So once again, I'm not promoting Tim McGraw's music or country music in general, but there's a song by Tim McGraw called Live Like You Were Dying. And he begins by saying, he said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me. And a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the end, how it's hit you when you get that kind of news. Man, what'd you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't, and I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition, and I went three times that year, I lost my dad. I finally read the good book, and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again, and then I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying, and he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. You know, and I'm trying to start the message off this morning by being morbid or down, but, but isn't that what God's Word really tells us when it comes to this life here on this earth? Proverbs 20, 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James 4, 13 through 15 
Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This past week, I turned 40 years old. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm a young chicken, yeah. <laughs> and, and some of the, what I was going through as I was putting this message together came to my mind at, you know, 40 years old. I remember my dad when he turned 40, and I just thought, you know, the black balloons and, you know, just the fact that, man, he was just so old, 40 years old, and the neat part this last week, there was a girl at the Christian school in one of my daughter's class, a fifth grade class, and she said, I thought you just were turning 20. I said, you're my best friend. <laughs> but the question is, as we look at this idea this morning of our life being just a mist, do we live this day as if it were our last as you look into 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, we're going to go through 11. Peter says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. And that's really the reality of this fragile life that we live here on this earth because none of us know exactly how long we have left to live. And if we're to live a full, abundant life for Jesus here on this earth, then we need to begin with the end in mind. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, may we speak to our hearts. May your word be powerful and effective. May it not come back void. May it be sharper than a double-edged sword in our life that it might divide the things that we need to remove, that it keeps the things that we need, that it convicts our hearts, and it challenges us, encourages us to live the way you called us to live. It's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7 from the NIV, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And as we look into verse 7 right off the bat, this idea of the end of all things is near. And that's kind of a difficult thing, isn't it? Because if this was written 2,000 years ago, around 64 AD, then why is it saying the end is near? But I want you to also notice here, it doesn't say that the end is here but that the end is near. If you were to turn over to Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, 
Jesus in this verse says something interesting. He says, yes, I am coming soon. Soon. In Jamaica, there's been a few times where I've been there, and the, the phrase, soon come, is a phrase they use there often. And it's a, a phrase that can mean that they'll be there in five minutes. It's a phrase that could mean they could be there in five hours. It means they could be there in five days. Soon come, depending on the circumstance, could mean a lot of different things. And so when Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon, the question that we ask ourselves, well, how soon is soon? And I think we can be helped out this morning if we look into a book written by C.S. Lewis, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this conversation between Lucy and one of the humans in the story and Aslan, the Christ figure, the lion. And they're saying goodbye to each other, and Aslan says to Lucy, Do not look sad. We shall meet soon again. Please, Aslan, said Lucy, what do you call soon? I call all times soon, said Aslan. So what Peter is getting at here is is that the end of all things is near, Because we don't really know. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know when our time on this earth is going to end. And I believe that Peter wants us to begin with the end in mind. And that's the title of the message this morning. Begin with the end in mind. And as we live our lives, we must keep a perspective of the reality that this world is not our home. That our time here on this earth is is but a mist. It's short. We should be living in every generation, should be living in the anticipation and expectation that Jesus could come back at any time. And so until that day comes, are we making the most out of our time here on this earth for Jesus? At 40 years old, what have I done with those 40 years up to this point? And, and what am I going to do with the years to come For Jesus, how should we be living? As we look at these verses, I see three things that Peter challenges us with. And if you were to write these down, they they would be there available for you later on to remember. Spend time praying. Spend time loving. And spend time serving. As we look again back into verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, because the end of all things is near, because we don't know when it might take place, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Spend time praying, and I think a lot of times as Christians, we make prayer way harder than it needs to be because maybe at a a young age we get confused because, you know, there's kind of this idea of, you know, close your eyes and bow your head and fold your hands. And, of course, we do that so that, you know, the little four-year-old son of myself won't hit, you know, the kid next to him, okay? And so we want them to to be focused, 
We want them to, to spend time talking to God without a bunch of distractions. And, and as we grow older, we hear public prayers by those in leadership at church, and we try to maybe mimic some of the things that their prayers sound like. And pretty soon, praying to God becomes this thing that we make more difficult than it should be, and we aren't willing to make time to pray. And in order for us to begin with the end in mind, we must remain connected with God. Part of staying connected to God is to spend time in prayer. And prayer needs to just to be this two-way conversation. And that's exactly what it is. It's a conversation between us and the God of the universe that created everything. And the awesome part is, is that God's word tells us that he wants to communicate with us. Are we willing to communicate with him? One of the keys to any good relationship is communication. And oftentimes I compare spending time in prayer, spending time in communication with God, similar to comparing it to my relationship with my, my wife and the communication that we have. And I always think about how if, if I communicated with my wife at times the same way I communicate with God, what would that, what would that look like? I mean, what kind of relationship would I have with my wife if all I ever spent time talking to her was just on Sunday morning, just for maybe an hour or so, just a little conversation that might take place on a Sunday morning? Or what would our relationship look like if, if the conversation that took place between myself and my wife Autumn, if it was just a one-sided conversation all the time? where I was the only one that ever got to talk, and, and it, it was just always me talking to her and, and saying things like, oh, my wonderful wife, which is good, that's good. Uh, oh, my wonderful wife, can you please make me a good supper and make sure that the kids are in bed by 8 p.m.? Or maybe, and Autumn, the one that I love so much, will you please make sure to get the laundry done and pick up the kids after school? You see, if that was the kind of communication that I had with my wife on a regular basis, my relationship with my wife would be miserable and pretty much non-existent. But Peter challenges us to, to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray. To me, Peter is calling us to make prayer a priority it isn't something that we should do on occasion or, or just at mealtimes or maybe just at bedtimes. But prayer is something that we need to clear our schedules for. Prayer needs to be at the top of our priority list. We are to clear our minds and really focus on what we're to be praying about. When I pray with my younger kids, it's, it's difficult at times to get them to really focus and understand what a privilege it is to, to talk to God, the Creator, the Almighty, the I Am. Because God is there listening to us. But it's difficult to, to communicate that to a young child. In fact, oftentimes when we do our family prayer time in the evenings and all the kids have a chance to pray together and, and we spend time as a family praying. Brooks, he's usually the first one and that can be good because then he has a chance to pray right away but then it's also kind of bad because by the time the, si 
the seventh kid ends up praying. Brooks has started from maybe right next to me on the floor, uh, next to the couch. And slowly, as I have my eyes closed, by the end of the prayer time, he's across the room playing with a toy. He got distracted. He saw something across the room and quietly scoots his way over there. Sometimes I hear him, sometimes I don't. And I think all too often as, as Christians, as adults, we do the same thing. We begin with a desire to respectfully communicate with God, and all too often we're distracted by our random thoughts, by what is going on around us. Or we still need to get done that day or the next day. And I was convicted by a speaker at ICOM, the International Conference on Missions, in November. He shared a, a story from the stage where him and his wife were doing ministry and they're struggling to, to do this ministry. And they got to a point where they both decided that the ministry wasn't going to continue forward. It wasn't going to succeed unless they were both willing to get up an hour earlier and spend time in dedicated, focused prayer. And in my own life, I'm working through that conviction. I was also convicted during men's prayer breakfast here at the church in January when Dan Elston shared that he, he wanted to be a man of prayer in 2020. Man, I, I want to be a man of prayer in 2020. What, what about you? Do you want to be a man or a woman of prayer in 2020? Do you want to see God do miraculous things through your willingness to come to Him, to, to surrender and humble yourself before the throne room in dedicated, clear-minded, focused prayer? Because the end is near. The end is near. If we're beginning the day with the end in mind, then our perspective should be that this may be the last day we have to live for God here on this earth. What are we doing with that? If you and I are going to have an, a change of prayer life, it's going to require a change in our lifestyle. What we're willing to spend our time doing. We're going to have to set aside a specific time where we can clear our minds and be self-controlled to the point where we remain focused as we communicate with God each and every day. So what needs to change in your life to improve your prayer life? In all reality, if we're going to begin each day with the end in mind, it's going to require constant communication with God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which is a verse that many of you most likely have memorized, it's, it's a pretty difficult one to memorize. From the NIV it says, pray continually. And, and that's a tough concept. Because if we go back to our children's lesson of closing our eyes and praying, and I'm, I'm driving down the road and I'm supposed to be praying continually, that's a little bit dangerous, isn't it? And yet it has nothing to do with closing our eyes or folding our hands or bowing our heads. It has to do with a constant communication with our Heavenly Father. Do we bring everything before Him? Are we spending time in prayer? Second thing, spend time loving. Spend time loving. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, Above all, love each other deeply. 
Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And when it comes to our Christian walk, it's, it's easy to allow the importance of prayer to slowly make its way, slip down the priority list. And at times in my own life, I've allowed the importance of loving those around me to also slip down the priority list. And yet, what does Peter begin verse 8 with? He says, above all, more importantly than anything else, in the New Living Translation, it says, most important of all. Spend time loving. Love each other deeply. Over and over again in Scripture, this idea of loving is highlighted as the most important thing. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest, first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And all throughout Scripture, God calls us to love. And I think that we all would agree that the identification mark of the church is love. And as we read verse Verses 8 and 9, we see a need to love those around us deeply, it says. Other translations use the word fervent to describe how we are to love. And the word fervent means to stretch or to strain. In ancient times, this word was used to describe a horse at full gallop. Just everything it had, and maybe you've watched a movie that had a horse galloping in it, and, and they show slow the muscles and the horse's leg down, and you can see the muscles just straining. They also use this word to describe an athlete, an athlete that would stretch or strain its muscles to win the race, to give it all they had. And it's, so if we were to retranslate this verse, we might say, when you love people... Give it all you've got. When you love people, hold nothing back in your love for them. Love people like you're trying to win the Love Olympics. Peter talks about the fact that this kind of love can have, that this kind of love that you can have in your life is, is the, lo the kind of love that God calls us to. Not only those immediate in your circles but outside of your circles the people that you come in contact with contact with as you look at verse 8 we see peter quoting part of proverbs 10:12 from the new king james version it says hatred stirs up strife but love covers all sins proverbs 10:12 when when someone wrongs you you have two choices Number one, you can, you can cover their sin, their wrong, with the love that you have for them and, and forgive them. Or number two, you can expose what that person has done. And this kind of love that Peter's talking about is, is a love that will not air dirty laundry. This kind of love does not want to expose weaknesses or cause humiliation. This kind of love seeks to handle things privately before it ever goes public and there is a time when it might need to go public 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, you go to that person, that, that one person, one-on-one that has sinned against you and tell them their sin privately. And if they don't listen, you bring another person with you. And if they still don't listen, you widen the circle. See, there is a time you might have to go public, but this kind of love is protective. It stretches itself out in order to cover, and what always comes to my mind is my kids is silly, the putty, the slime that they love, and it just stretches out. And this is the love that Peter is calling us to that stretches out and strains to cover. Verse 9 goes on and describes a love that is willing to reach out to a stranger. To offer hospitality, it says. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this, this idea of hospitality is a New Testament word that literally means loving the stranger. Our word hospital comes from this word and hospitals obviously are designed to, to welcome in and, and be able to help out anyone that comes that they may or may not know. To be hospital, hospitable to them. Once again, it means to, to love the stranger. And at the time that this was written, it was very common for people at this time to invite each other into their homes. In fact, Strangers would come into town and and there wasn't really necessarily great places for them to stay. And so they would welcome them into their homes, strangers, showing hospitality. I remember my parents oftentimes uh, growing up, they they had a nice house. They didn't have real nice cars, but they invested in a house. and, And so the house was big enough to invite people in to the point where we would have missionaries come and stay with us when I was growing up. There would be a youth rally that came into town, and we just had cement floors in our basement. I remember one year my dad, he was a high school math teacher, went to the high school and got a bunch of the portable uh, wrestling mats uh, and laid them down on the cement and had 25, 30 kids stay in the basement of our house just on wrestling mats. I also remember you know, times where college groups would come from Summit, and they'd come up, and my parents would welcome them into their home. There were times where people from the church, some that we knew real well, but at times others that we didn't know very well at all, maybe they were new to the church, and we, my parents welcomed them into our home. I've heard stories similar to that of individuals like yourselves in this congregation, the Berlin's stories of hospitality shown in their home. And for some of you here this morning, you are great at inviting people into your homes. But for many of us in these days, in, these, in our culture today, a love that offers hospitality is a lost spiritual discipline. But I truly believe it's a vital one. If we're going to grow as a family, if we're going to reach the lost, we're going to have to be willing to offer hospitality and and at times, it's hard to imagine even welcoming someone into our home that we do know, let alone someone that we may have just met on a Sunday morning. And yet God calls us to this kind of fervent love 
that offers hospitality. And it's a hospitality that he calls us to that's without grumbling, it says. And the Greek word for grumbling is gongusmo. Gongusmo. It, it, it's kind of, the word is kind of like what it's, you know, the definition, isn't it? It kind of sounds like the definition. And the definition is it means to mumble under your breath. Uh, you know, I, I'm willing to do it, but I don't know if I have the right attitude at times. Gongusmo. And you can do all the right things, but if your heart isn't in it, then you're missing the point. So let's take a little quiz. How fervent is your love? Remember what the word means. It means to stretch out or to strain, to give it all you've got. How fervent is your love? Maybe you can think about if you're married this morning, beginning in your marriages and maybe widening the circle out to your family, your parents, your children your siblings, your friends, your co-workers, your church. How fervent, how straining is your love for those individuals? And you might be thinking this morning, well, it's too hard. It's too hard to love the way that God loves us. In fact, I've just run out of love for this certain individual. I just can't show them any more love than I already have. But I want to encourage you this morning to keep loving the way God loves you because Romans 5, 5, Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God's limitless love Never-ending love is being poured out into our lives and there should be no one in our circles of influence that should be going without love because we are vessels God uses to pour His love into the lives of others around us. And so spend time praying and spend time loving. And here's the third, spend time serving. Verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And if this was a Wednesday night class that I was putting together, I might ask you the question, what do these verses say about spiritual gifts we have received? And my hope is, is that I would get some answers like this. As you look through these verses, 10 and 11, every Christian, every Christian has a spiritual gift. That's what it says there. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Your gift may be different than someone else's. It's pretty straightforward. God has given all of us different capabilities, gifts, personalities, areas of influence. Each one 
has different gifts than somebody else, or you might have a different gift than someone else, whatever gift you have, you should use it to help other people. Right there it says, take this gift that you've received to serve others. Some gifts are visible and some are not as visible, but all are vital. Each one of us plays an important role, and God has given us those gifts to use to further His kingdom, and each one of us needs to use those gifts for this last thing. The reason that we share our gifts with the other people is to glorify God, it says. To bring all the focus back to God. Taking the gifts and abilities that you've been given by God and using them for the kingdom by serving others to bring honor and glory back to God. See, each one of us needs to be willing to step forward and use the gifts He's given us. We need to spend time serving. And as I researched for this message, I read an article from the end of Andalusia Star News, which Andalusia is in Spain. Internet is an amazing thing. And it's a story that many of you may have heard, but it was written in this article from the Star News, and it begins like this. It happened during World War II, after D-Day. Our soldiers pushed the Nazis out of France, and as each village was liberated, a contingency of GIs was left behind to restore order. While occupying these towns and cities, they helped the citizens reestablish authority, such as a local law enforcement. Our armed forces also helped them with the enormous task of cleaning up what the bombing had destroyed. In a particular town, one of the first buildings the people asked to be repaired was their cathedral. As the pews and the altar and the sanctuary were returned to their rightful place, a statue of Jesus was found on the floor. His hands had been broken off and could not be found in the rubble. While they were trying to decide what to do about replacing Jesus' hands, they put the statue of him by the altar where it once stood. One day, the people were amazed at what a soldier had printed on a piece of paper and attached to the statue. It read, he has no hands but yours. It is said that the statue's hands were never replaced, and the message with its profound words remains there to this day. You see, we are the body of Christ. We are to be Jesus' hands. We are to be Jesus' feet. We are to be Jesus' mouthpiece. Because Jesus said when we feed the hungry and clothe those who are naked or, or when we visit the sick or those who are in prison, in Matthew 25, 40, he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I've heard it said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we begin with the end in mind and we spend time praying and we spend time loving and we spend time serving, then I believe God will be glorified. The church will be edified and the world will be notified 
that God is real. And this morning as the praise team comes, if you've been looking for a church to get plugged in with, we'd invite you to come. We want you to, to be a part of what's going on here at PV. And maybe this morning as we sing a song of invitation, you just need to spend 